Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. palette of drab colors greeted Wesley. A mingling of grays, blues, and blacks. As his vision cleared, the dire tones cohered into a roiling sky of thunderheads, grumbling. He realized he was lying on his back, staring up at the perpetual storm that haunted the skies above Grimland. He sensed that he was on a bed or gurney of some sort, and a cursory glance at his surroundings confirmed that he was back at camp. Soldiers, suits, and scientists milled around him, 
all staring. He couldn't determine the nature of the glares. Were they hostile, sympathetic, or just curious? He couldn't know for sure. What he did know was that they were all in danger. The memory of those awful woods and the pallid trees that populated it came unbidden to his mind. The strange marriage of roots, trees, and vines that jutted tall and dreadful from the woodland floor, and the voice whose verses had chased him from the mouths of logs and abyssal hollows. He remembered the strange light and the shadow that held it. Wesley grunted as he lifted himself up and swung his legs over the edge of the cot. The world still wasn't quite stable, rocking back and forth like a ship at sea. He got up anyway, navigating to a nearby tent. A man and woman hovered over their keyboards, the blue light of the monitors lighting their face. I, I need to speak with Captain Vanzetti. The two jerked away from their work and stared at Wesley, their inaction causing his already substantial level of irritation to rise further. Now! he yelled. The scientists scurried, rushing past him and out into a fresh rain. He didn't know if they were following his command or simply going to get security, but either would result in a meeting with Vanzetti, he supposed. He took a seat in one of the nearby chairs and waited. The songs of machines replaced the silence, humming and buzzing away indifferently. Years of managing labs had made the sound familiar, comforting, like ocean waves or crickets. How many nights had he fallen asleep in a chair just like this one, drowsing away to the chatter of centrifuges, stirrers, and fume hoods? The recollection was seductive, like sirens singing from the murky waters of his memory, tempting him into their depths. But he refused. He knew what things lived beneath the waves. His previous life was under the dominion of the darkness, tainting every birthday, every anniversary, every memorable moment his synapses could summon. Every mental trek backwards led to the same terrible place, a hole where the plastic smiles of his once living wife and daughter beamed at him from across the world. But his past wasn't the only one languishing in the shadow of the darkness. The whole of the world's history, perhaps even the universe's, now orbited that forgotten year. Everything was being viewed through a new lens, albeit a mired and warped one. Was this the first time humanity had suffered such an event? Were the laws of physics we had come to depend on changed? Or had they never been what we thought them to be in the first place? The supposed solar event had thrown civilization into a tailspin, one he was unsure it could recover from. As such, he gripped the present as hard as he could preferring current mysteries to a known and nightmare past. Morgan, what the hell are you doing? It was hard to call what came out of Captain Vanzetti's mouth a voice. It seemed more happenstance, as if the sounds of crushed gravel somehow conspired to fashion words. Wesley often wondered if it was his actual voice, or if he had suffered some kind of injury. Either way, it fit the man. Vanzetti was stone-faced and, usually, quiet. On the rare occasion that he did speak, there was an efficiency to his language, like every sentence had been trimmed of its lexical fat, leaving no word to waste. Wesley didn't know if it was the military training, 
or just a curious peccadillo of the man's personality, but he surmised it was probably both. He ignored the captain's question and got straight to the point. We've got to get these people out of here, Vanzetti. It's not safe. What I saw out there, what I experienced it. What are you talking about, Morgan? The captain scoffed. One of our contractors found you passed out in the woods some five miles out. Said it looked like you'd been unconscious for hours. The only thing he saw was a bunch of petrified wood and a napping dipshit who likes to take unauthorized field trips. If you ever... Oh, spare me the chain of command bullshit, Vanzetti. What I'm telling you is there's something out there, and it chased me through the goddamn woods. If you just let me tell you what happened, I could... The two uniformed men flanking Vanzetti stepped towards Wesley. The captain raised his hand. No need for that, boys. His eyes became slits, and Wesley could see gears turning behind his stony facade. While the military had certainly instilled in him an intense stoicism, along with a hardy constitution against those things that might strike fear into a man, it could not barricade those cracks and fissures endemic to the human mind. These were the spaces through which nightmares found purchase in our unconscious, where the fear of things lurking beyond the stars imposed their reign, and more recently, where the horrors of the great darkness gestated, birthing terrible possibilities. His lips pursed, as if they were trying to gate the words forming behind them. Sergeant Mears, he shouted. A man emerged from the camouflaged mass behind him and stood at attention. Yes, sir. Take three men and search the area where Dr. Morgan was found, Vinzetti ordered. I want the place combed for hostels and anything else of interest. I want reports every hour. You got me? Yes, sir. The sergeant rushed from the tent. A heavy weight settled in Wes's stomach, fearing what awaited the men. But perhaps the thing had passed, or maybe it hadn't occurred at all. He could only hope it was all in his head, but he knew that hope was in vain. All the bats in humanity's collective belfry had been set free, and now it was being forced to endure the consequences of its awful imaginings. Thank you, Captain Vanzetti, Wesley offered. The captain and his entourage turned to leave. Hey, uh, uh, wait a second. Vanzetti turned, visibly annoyed. What else, Dr. Morgan? You said one of your contractors found me. Who was it? A crooked smile broke Vanzetti's face, the two soldiers at his side mirroring it. (laughs) Why, that honor belongs to Professor Cyrus Moffat. Why do you ask? I know what I saw out there, Wesley replied. I'd like to ask him some questions, if if you don't mind. The captain laughed. (laughs) You can ask Professor Moffat all the questions you'd like. (laughs) Hell, I got a few for him myself. The twin soldiers snorted, holding back laughter. He's set up next to the Gilbert lab. You just stay inside the perimeter, you understand? Wes nodded watching the three soldiers depart the tent and disappear into the fog hugging the southern end of the research camp. He couldn't help but see the irony in his situation. He'd spent much of his career debunking stories of the supernatural, only to now have his own laughed at. At least his claim was being looked into, which was more than he often did when confronted with similar tales. Still, the captain and his gaggle of drones weren't taking it seriously enough. They were just placating him, hoping he would keep his mouth shut and not cause a panic. Panic, however, was the appropriate response, or at least some healthy worrying.
A twinge of doubt still nagged at Wesley. What if he had hallucinated it, or had fallen unconscious at some point and dreamt it all up? He was on an unexplored continent, after all, and had crossed plenty of unidentified flora and mushrooms during his trip into that hellish, petrified forest. The more he thought about it, the more enticing the explanation became, lulling him into the bygone comforts of a world without monsters, without year-long nights, without demonic poems threatening to tear him apart. The voices kept him from lingering, however, dragging him from the soft bastions of the past and back into the dreary present. Back to swamp gas and misidentification theories, are we, Wesley? I thought you left that all behind. Old habits die hard, I suppose. So, what's it going to be? Airborne spores from an as-of-yet-unknown fungus that caused you to hallucinate? Or maybe you just stumbled upon some strange, natural, auditory phenomenon that hasn't been discovered yet? Or let's not forget the best one of all, that you're batshit fucking crazy. After all, how trustworthy can the observations of a man who hears voices be? Why, you've a steaming cornucopia of rationalizations you could use to escape this. And you know what? They're nothing but steaming piles of shit. You brought us here. Now it's time to put your big boy pants on and deal with it. I couldn't give a fuck about the rest of these walking corpses, but you need to survive this, Wesley. You and I. Actually, I don't feel a need to survive this at all. Wesley muttered, psychically poking the voice. Oh, spare me your little woe is me at, the voice hissed. I wouldn't piss a puddle of pity for you. Wesley set out into the light rain for Professor Moffat, who was stationed near the Gilbert lab, located only a few hundred yards west of his own. He passed a dozen or so other shelters just like it, everyone inside busy reading, analyzing, extrapolating, escaping. He knew they were trading one reality for another, surrendering themselves to the tiny world stuffed beneath microscopes or hidden in mathematical proofs. Those places provided solidity, strongholds against an uncertain universe. But even those havens were becoming unsafe, compromised. For the first time, scientists were afraid of what they might discover, scared that within the liquescent black gulfs between atoms, they might find something terrible. But for now, the domains of science were as hardy a bulwark to hide behind as any, even if their walls were slowly coming down too. The top of a large, modular military tent came into view, jutting above a crowd of smaller tents. Beneath it toiled some of the best scientists in the world, its russet canvas rippling to the wind's commands, almost threatening to peel it from its scaffold bones. Vague shadows played across its surface, flickering in and out of view depending on the light. The faint sound of chatter and old pop music crept from the tent's skirt as he moved past the jovial sounds clashing with the morose spirit of the camp. An intrusive thought squirmed into his consciousness, one where the woodland poet's devilish words replaced the lyrics played on the radio, causing all the occupants to unravel, wet and screaming. He pushed the thought from his head, the voices laughing at his shame. His destination was strangely distant from the Gilbert Lab and all the other tents in the area, sitting beneath a large, winding tree 
whose fallen foliage made it seem like it had been erected upon a thick, purple carpet. Just outside the tent lay a makeshift fire pit, with a small Dutch oven suspended over its pile of embers. The faint aroma of sausage made Wesley hungry for the first time since he'd arrived. He grabbed the tent flap entrance and shook it. Uh, excuse me, Professor Moffat? I'd like to speak with you if you have some time. Ah, Dr. Morgan. Come in, come in, a voice called. Wesley parted the canvas folds of his host's abode. Inside, small towers of old books punctuated the floor. The desks and shelves lining the walls were littered with their splayed bodies, revealing that many were written in different languages. Some of them he recognized, but most he did not. Laying his eyes upon the man who had supposedly saved him, it was clear to Wesley why the captain and his men had laughed at the mention of him. Professor Moffat wore what Wesley could only guess was a long black Victorian coat, the tails of which draped down below the seat of his chair. A purple and brocade vest complemented the antique attire, along with a crumpled charcoal ascot that hung from his neck. He sported a long but well-trimmed beard that hung down mid-chest, and a pair of tiny round spectacles sat perched on the bridge of his nose, begging to be pushed up. Locks of wavy ebon hair just barely met the man's shoulders, and a high-top hat rested to his right, as if he had just put it down. While the man's fashion had certainly taken Wesley aback, the lantern standing on a nearby pedestal stole most of his attention. The color of its metal fount and ventilation cap was trapped somewhere between midnight and blue, and silver ornate engravings decorated its surface, the contrast making it look like comets streaming across a night sky. However, unlike the anatomy of a normal lantern, the glass globe wasn't visible, but instead surrounded by a metallic cylinder festooned with a confusion of holes and patterns, none of which appeared to be in any semblance of order. There was a strange regality to it, an air of respect flaunted by the flames within. Perhaps it was the obvious care with which it had been perched, but it exuded a tone of respect, perhaps even awe. He wrenched his gaze back towards the man at the desk, who was writing feverishly into a worn journal, the old fountain pen in his hand dancing across the pages. Has it been long enough? The odd man asked. Well, uh, what? What do you mean, I... To adjust my appearance, of course. I find that my fashion choices often evoke some surprise. Time is needed to adjust, or at least to adequately suppress one's impulse to laugh or outright guffaw. I, I, I wasn't laughing, Wesley replied. I'm sorry if... It's quite all right, the professor said, setting his pen down and turning to Wesley. A pleasant smile added more lines to his creased face. It's natural. Human nature. One shouldn't apologize for one's nature, after all. I find that people confuse our natural responses to strange things as rudeness. A rather shallow assessment, I believe. I, uh, I suppose you're right, West placated. And would you also agree that reciprocity is the basis of any good friendship? That's what they say, Wesley answered, trying to keep up. Well then, given that you and I undoubtedly will be seeing more of each other, would you allow me the same courtesy to air out my natural response to strangeness? Sure, I guess. 
your 2009 paper on the Tower of Teeth, wherein you discuss your enamel fusion hypothesis. Um, what about it? It's utter horseshit. A point began to form on the edge of Wesley's tongue. I'm not exactly sure how that comment reflects one's natural response to strangeness. Endemic to every person is a need to question those things that smack of falsehood. And your past disregard for the legitimate study of the tower by evoking all manner of debunkery has truly mystified me. How, I ask myself, does one posit such obtuse explanatory framework for one phenomenon, yet provide an utmost exquisite one for another? For example, your work on rapid mitochondrial mutation is truly elegant, a work of academic art. Your work on the Tower of Teeth, well, calling it a steaming pile of feces of the equestrian variety, might be rather generous. Under normal circumstances, Wesley would have unleashed a volley of his own hoity insults, even if he did agree with the man's brash assessment of his work with the aforementioned obscurum. But he was in no mood for a debate, especially with someone dressed like he just walked out of a renaissance festival. Look, uh, Professor Moffat, I'm not interested in sparring with you about various obscurum or odd fashion statements, okay? I came here to talk to you about what happened in the woods, where you found me. A smirk crossed the man's face. Have you? And what did happen in those woods, Dr. Morgan? Something tells me that whatever it was, wasn't the result of swamp gas, hmm? Professor Moffat was relentless in his jibes, making it increasingly difficult for Wes to bite his tongue. Captain Vanzetti told me you claimed you just found me out there sleeping, but I remember you, at least your figure and the lamp you were carrying. I remember when I finally fell and everything went black. Surely you, you must have seen something, heard the voice? Of course I did, Professor Moffat replied. A twinge of anger stabbed Wesley. Then why the hell didn't you tell them? Any of them? They think I'm a goddamn lunatic, only sending a small group of men out there to investigate. You just helped send those men to their deaths. Professor Moffat sighed. The man's eyes were two starless nights encircled by piercing blue. Despite his eccentric appearance, there was something in them that demanded respect, perhaps even fear. Wesley took a step back, despite himself. Unnecessary sacrifice, I'm afraid. Professor Moffat admitted. The path forward is full of uncomfortable bumps and turns, Dr. Morgan. I suggest you get used to it. What kind of nonsense is that? Wesley pressed. Why didn't you tell them? Because I can see a bit further down the road, Professor Moffat answered. He tapped the side of his lantern and the room took on a sudden orange glow a kind of wavering incandescence not unlike candlelight. Simultaneously, everything dimmed, as if they were in a theater, a movie about to play. Wesley recognized the strange luminescence right away. It was the same light he'd seen in the woods, cast by that bizarre, ornate lantern. There was a slight instability about the room, as if the very colors and shapes comprising it were unsure of themselves, doubting their solidity. The shadows, which previously clung to their lit hosts, began to move, tearing away from the objects that enslaved them. Soon the area was nothing but amber, 
and loose shades promulgating their independence, dancing across the walls as if celebrating their emancipation. New shapes began to manifest, rising up from the undulating darkness, molded by no apparent source, fatherless shadows. Coherent shapes began to emerge and spin around the room like a wicked shadow puppet show. At first, a lone silhouette strutted out from what must have been a thick line of forestry, striding confidently towards a large group of people. There was a diablerie about the figure, something inhuman despite its very human geometry. The blackness shifted, causing the once coherent mob of people to writhe, their symmetries fluctuating like the waves of a tumultuous sea. They began to come undone, their shadowy bodies breaking apart into strange writing, characters that floated in the air like ashes on the wind. Disturbed, Wesley drew his attention to the lantern again, but try as he might, he couldn't fix his eyes upon it. They were either avoiding the thing, or they were unable to extract its details, as if the lantern refused to gain coherence, resisting capture. Shining with almost equal luster was Professor Moffat himself. He beamed at Wesley with a crooked smile, his eyes like hearths, capturing the light of the lamp and glowing a dark coral. The experience became too much. Dizzy and nauseous, Wesley rushed from the tent. As he stumbled in the direction of his lab, footsteps sounded from his left. Before he could lift his head to investigate, a gravelly voice met his ears. Sleep, it said. The word hefted more than sound, carrying with it a weight that smothered Wesley's consciousness. Slumber overcame him, and for the second time that day, he surrendered to oblivion. The three of us here at Maltopia want to thank you once again for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to see how we visualize the world of Maltopia, you can view our artwork on Instagram and our YouTube channel. And for the latest news and updates, give us a follow on Twitter and Facebook. To read a growing selection of our dark fiction, be sure to check out Maltopia.com. And lastly, we love nothing more than hearing from you. So we encourage you to leave a review of our podcast and give us your thoughts in the comments. Thanks again for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.